Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. In this very special episode of the Faith Forward podcast, we bring you a conversation about ministry with children, youth, and families during and on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic. This panel was convened as part of a series hosted by Atlantic School of Theology and was recorded just over one year into the pandemic. Our panelists were Mary Nichol, the Regional Minister for First Third Ministries with the Pacific Mountain Region of the United Church of Canada. Stephen Argue, Associate Professor of Youth, Family, and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and author of several books, including Sticky Faith Innovation. And Tracy Smith, Pastor of Elmhurst Presbyterian Church in the Chicagoland area and author of many resources, including Faithful Families, Creating Sacred Moments at Home. This podcast episode features the first part of this conversation, which we titled Leaving No One Behind, Pandemic Era Ministry with Children, Youth, and Families. Great. Well, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Jane Bolivar, and I am the continuing education convener at the Atlantic School of Theology. And welcome, everyone. Thank you. Um, I know people are from all over the place here today, and so we welcome you um, to this session. Uh, field notes, ministry innovations in the midst of a pandemic. And before I go any further with introductions, I wanted to um, invite the Reverend Dr. Rob Fennell, our academic dean at Atlanta School of Theology, to just say a couple words. Thanks, Jane. I, I do want to echo Jane's welcome to everybody. It's really, really wonderful to have you here and so glad you're with us today. Uh, special thanks to Dave and Tracy and Mary and Stephen. We're so glad that you're speaking today and uh, bringing us the latest in your field. And um, as you may know, this series, Field Notes, uh, continues through till May. It's every Thursday, uh, maybe not next week on Monday, Thursday, but almost every Thursday till May. And uh, it's free and, and it's well, everyone is welcome. So please feel free to pass the word around and, uh, and for folks to sign up. We're really, really delighted to have everybody here. Grateful to Pine Hill Divinity Hall for sponsoring the series. And again, welcome. Really great to have you all here. Thanks, Rob, for your words of welcome and for uh, in, inviting me to uh, to lead this session. And uh, thanks, uh, Tracy, Mary, and Steve, for joining us today to share your uh, your wisdom and, and your expertise uh, in this area. You you all come with uh, from a different context, different uh, denominations, and uh, different. Uh, you all have a different focus in in your uh, ministry with youth and children and families. So let's kick things off by naming the fact that uh, it has been just over a year since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 to be a pandemic. Um, so what were some of the first things that you noticed uh, in your work and, and the work of leaders that, that you support 
um, in how ministry with children and youth and families pivoted in light of uh, stay-at-home orders and, and other uh, precautions and restrictions that were put in place. And, and Tracy, uh, I'm going to ask you to, to start things off. Oh, great. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for the invitation. So, you know, one of the things I do in my work is to work with people who work in this space. So lots of uh, children's and youth and ministry leaders that want to be cross-generational or intergenerational. And the first thing that I noticed is just that population of people who in the church are some of the most innovative, creative, hardworking people in general in the church. And so while it was hard and it took a toll on all of them, there was almost this immediate sense of iteration and innovation and an ability to try new things. Uh, almost immediately people took it and ran with it and said, okay, this is at least in the people that I, I work with, there, there wasn't a lot of time. And I think now we're maybe even experiencing some of the effects of the burnout of that. You know, they just all sort of hit the ground running a mile, you know, a minute, started innovating, getting on Zoom, doing all of these things. And now is when we're feeling maybe some of the backlash of that exhaustion. But I feel like the, the population I work with is endlessly creative and they immediately came up with taking things to homes and putting them on Zoom and trying to just follow the spirit's lead and where they were gonna go. So endless, endless examples of that in my opinion. Um, Tracy, say, I noticed the same thing. I too work with uh, leaders who are um, in congregational ministry, uh, children, youth, and family leaders, and immediate, automatic, okay, let's go. What can we do? How can we do this? Let's learn a technology if we don't know. And uh, I was just looking back at my notes. We started gathering March 17th for first, third ministry leaders every week. And um, the amount of people that came together to ask those questions, how are you doing this? I have this question, what are you doing? How can we work together and collaborate? And uh, I'd also agree, Tracy, that I'm seeing the burnout now. They've just kept going and going, came back from Christmas. And then a general, I'm starting to not have energy, um, but that immediate and innovating all sorts of ways and learning as you go and then discovering how the health orders affect the ministry and then how you change again. So pivoting quite often and quickly. Love that, Mary. Love what you said, Tracy, too. Um, I guess I would just agree and uh, perhaps add that I just think all of you on this call are, are sort of made for these moments. I mean, this is what you do. Um, you're innovative. You, you would deal with uh, you know, surprises on a weekly basis. This certainly was an exasperated sort of moment, but I do think that um, children's and youth ministry leaders are sort of made uh, for this moment. Uh, probably even more so, perhaps we can uh, also admit that uh, I think children and young people are in a perpetual state of instability and disruption. So perhaps as adults, maybe we have a more uh, empathy um, for young people and for uh, their own challenges that they're going through on a day-by-day -day basis, not to mention a pandemic that's sort of added uh, to this. And then I think the other thing that I've been thinking about um, and talking with the leaders that we work with uh, about too is, uh, I think there's a temptation with the pandemic to see it as the great disruptor, but perhaps it's the great revealer 
of uh, the best and worst of who we are, um, the ways that we have been listening pre-pandemic and maybe ways that we haven't. And, you know, uh, Mary and Tracy have both mentioned this. I mean, the collaboration, the leaning in, uh, I think has maybe rekindled uh, some of our best practices and our, our better angels uh, as a result. Uh, so, so let's jump on that, um, Steve. You mentioned best practices, uh, and and so we've and and all of you have named um, just the the tremendous innovation and creativity that you saw. What are some specifics that stand out from a year ago that you noticed um, as some of the most creative uh, best practices that are worth holding on to as we keep you know keep living in this space? Well, there's two areas, but one online and how to learn um, how we are engaging, uh, pulling in what's in our around surroundings, our homes, and connecting to each other online and bringing ourselves and creating that sacred space online. And so those best practices of how we're doing that was looking um, and remembering how we've fine-tuned what the the scavenger hunt looks like with children and families online and going to get something that um, reminds you of God's love and then being able to share it. And so really pulling in what's in our surroundings, where is God here and then sharing it. So those kinds of, um, that's one. Uh, so I do the, I do faith at home is kind of my area of professional joy. Uh, and that's what all my writing is about faith practices at home and how to do that. And so I like to joke that I was doing faith at home before it was cool or before everybody was doing it in the pandemic. Right. Like, so I was like, this is my place. Right. And I think what I've seen over the past year is a really beautiful, um, kind of paring down to simplicity, right? Which is one of my soapboxes, make it simple, as simple as possible, distill it to its essence. And I think at the beginning, some of us, all of us were just throwing everything we had at it, you know, just going, going, going. And so youth ministers and children's ministry leaders were dropping off these big boxes of at home for faith at home. And, you know, parents and everybody was like overwhelmed with all of this. And over time we started saying, okay, what do we need? What, what can we distill this down into? So I think the best practice, yeah, of course, that's my, you know, glasses that I see through is faith at home, but I think not just faith at home, but simple things to do at home, because that's what we're all craving and needing. We're so, there's so much stimulus. Um, so how to, how does to distill things down into their essence? I love the creativity that Mary mentioned, and then I love the simplicity that Tracy mentioned, and I, I would agree with that. I, I think um, I think when we first saw uh, everybody go online, especially maybe youth ministries, I think that's more my realm. I mean, it was kind of like, we're taking it all online, you know? And I, I think that uh, that the online world, if we're not careful, can just be like a really bad PowerPoint presentation. Like, you know what I mean? Like you basically take your notes and you put it on a, like a slide. And then you're like, look at me, I'm using technology I'm online. That's not the way like slides are supposed to work. You know, that's really bad and not very helpful pedagogy. Um, so I think the simplicity uh, and this creativity um, is a really interesting concept. And I think what it means in some ways with the creativity is uh, we're not really transposing programs, we're reimagining connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I think what we've seen is uh, uh, leaders 
uh, really think about how do I connect with students and how is this, how can we use this space? And quite honestly, I think some of uh, maybe the more reserved or quiet uh, young people have found a space where they're finding their voice in ways that maybe the boisterous when we're all together kids don't have. So I think there's some really interesting ways that youth leaders are broadening, um, broadening that out. Another leader told me uh, that they did some analytics on their church services and they said the drop off of an online church services at 19 minutes. Mm. Think about that for a second. I don't know how long your online services are, how you do that or whatever. But about 19 minutes, that's sort of like, you know, oh, you know people are, are leaving or they're not engaging anymore. So how, what they had to do is recalibrate, like what's the essence of what we're trying to do when we gather? What is sort of extra and how do we rethink about that? So, um, so I, I think there's just been some really interesting um, aha moments as we think about teaching and learning, as we think about attention, as we think about how we are connecting personally. Um, and uh, I think that's just inspired some interesting creativity, as Mary mentioned. Yeah, that, that 19 minute mark uh, makes me think that, you know, isn't that a, a, about a few minutes into a sermon typically, maybe? And that's when people are dropping off. So if you want to learn how to do preaching in a pandemic, I think we have two different uh, uh, upcoming uh, webinars in this series on that from different experts. So we can draw that out to 39 minutes, maybe. Um, Dave, that was a great plug. And the yeah, other thanks. thing I want to say is right now we're at 16 minutes, so I'm getting anxious. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. um, you know, it, it's funny what, what we've been talking about reminds me a lot the past year. I've thought of this game show that started like uh, on TV like, 10 years ago or something called Minute to Win It. I don't know if it's still on. But, you know, in, in, instead of all like the flashiness and all the, 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 the budgets and the support, I mean, of course, they still ha had all that. But the games were like intentionally stuff you find at home. Like, here's a hula hoop. Here's a straw. Here's a balloon. Don't use your hands. Get the balloon through the hula hoop and you could win. I don't know. A, a million dollars. That makes me want to do a minute for win it event with my church <laughs> on Zoom. That would be amazing. And yeah, so and, fun. And yeah. but but I mean that's I mean and I've thought of that with your work for a while, Tracy, in in getting people to do faith at home with what is already in the home, yeah. Yeah. and that really ramped up when we were stuck at home. Like I remember, you know, just cooking was well. What do I have? Because I'm not going out here because we don't know how this virus works. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially that's what we've taken to. In, in the best of ways is what a lot of people have done as, as leaders and as parents um, charged with doing faith formation with young people in, in their homes. Um, of course, though, there have been some challenges. So Steve, if you want to start things off, um, what would you say are some of the most, um, most salient or most pronounced challenges that you've, you've noticed over the past year? There's a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I'm sure we all could uh, offer some from our different uh, pers perspectives. I, um, I think what the pandemic has reminded us in some ways um, is especially as I think about uh, young people and families um, is that how do we as churches, um, how do we think about this idea that as churches, we are in essence a, a pretty stable, um, situated locale 
um, as a community where we think about um, the faith as an embodied experience, how do we serve a, a, a community that's sort of in motion and virtual? Uh, and I, I think that I think that's just uh, brought up some interesting challenges of how we think about the Eucharist or how mm. we think about sort of this embodiment of the gospel that's so important of what what we're about and how do we um, how do we bring that into um, as Tracy mentioned the homes and that type of thing I, I think it I think that that's sort of an interesting um, challenge there on top of the fact that we have a family that. Um, I mean, let's face it, they're, they're feeling um, the pressure of it. I'm not a big fan of parents are the primary disciplers of their kids, because I think what we're realizing in a growing post-Christian um, environment, a lot of parents haven't had experiences of being discipled themselves. And so I think we put a big expectation on them with little support. And I think they're kind of stuck like, hey, you know, I, you you go and take care of your kids and serve them, you know, and talk to them about God. And their parents are like, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. I'm not sure I'm, I'm comfortable uh, with that. Maybe we just need to send everybody to Tracy. So there's a plug for you, Tracy. Um, but I, I do think I, I, I do think that's a challenge um, that they don't necessarily have a language of faith that's fluent in their homes. And so I think this makes it a, a challenge. On top of the fact, like shout out to single parents, shout out especially to mothers who as research would suggest are carrying the brunt of childcare and uh, and oftentimes work at the same time. Um, and so I think what we've realized too is that the pandemic has not treated everybody equally. Um, it has shown our disparities. And I think that uh, because of that, I think uh, as church leaders, I think we just have to pay attention to who's really hurting and it's not all the same across the board. I think um, to sort of piggyback on what Stephen was saying, you know, I think of some of the examples of the things that I've been asked to do during the pandemic that I never had to do before, like uh, cut my children's hair or my husband's hair, or, you know, my, I have two children uh, who are autistic. And so their, their therapy went online. And so the therapist would be like, yeah, can you just get like a pizza cutter, some Play-Doh, you know, some salad tongs, and then can you print this worksheet out? And like, I was sweating through my child's occupational therapy, like helping mm -hmm out with this. And so as much as we say, and as much as I would love, to, you know, I this passion for helping to empower parents to do faith at home pre-pandemic, they did lose all of their support. And so it was feeling like this extra burden. And so I think part of what we need to do now with all of it, with education, with schooling, with haircutting is to say, you did the best you could, you did enough. There's no guilt here. There's, it's not like your children now, like you missed this opportunity. And I hope that we've been saying that all along, but if we haven't, it's not too late to say to them, you know, like it's okay to Stephen's point that they shouldn't have to be doing it all alone with support. And it's not that the children, youth and family leaders didn't provide support, but there's only so much one person can do that can't come alongside every single family, you know, they could do resources, do what they can. But I think there's a sense in which we might have to just say, it's okay. <laughs> your, your children will be fine. You'll be fine. And uh, we learned some stuff here, but it's the same stuff. Some of it's the same challenges that we always have. Parents don't have enough time. They don't feel equipped and yeah 
feel overwhelmed and overburdened. It's like just transferring those same, those same struggles that we always have. And they just kind of like had gasoline poured on them, I think. Intensified, Tracy, completely intensified. Uh, I agree with both um, Steve and Tracy. And the one thing I was thinking of as you were speaking is, is the leaders who um, hearts are just aching for families and just feel helpless and felt helpless. And so the care of, that we um, need to extend to each other to know that what we're doing is enough and God is present and, and um, there's only so much that we can do and recognizing the impact on us um, of the pandemic and what we're doing and being stretched to, to do. And, and yeah, so caring for ourselves and our uh, co-leaders, our colleagues. That's really yeah. good, Mary. It, it reminds me of, um, you know, the fact that with every challenge comes opportunities to, to do things differently um, and opportunities to learn and, and do better on the other side of this challenge or through the challenge. Um, it, it strikes me that, you know, in, in doing uh, ministry and, and working with ministers uh, who work with children and youth and families, um, even in the world of children's and youth ministry, you know, you, you kind of put your foot in, in one camp or the other for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so there's this sense that for, you know, in, in a real way, we're talking about families as family units and, and picking up on what you've been saying, um, our, our panelists have been saying, there's this idea that if parents don't feel equipped, if they aren't, if they don't feel equipped, then, then they probably aren't equipped. Um, to do that, to be the primary caregivers, well, then the opportunity before us is to not nurture children, period, nurture youth, period, nurture adults, but, but actually to nurture families as a collective um, body of faith uh, so that they can essentially grow up in their faith together uh, yes. rather than this kind of, you know, a, uh, idea of the, the old always shaping uh, the young and always shaping the faith, this idea of, you know, I, I hear a lot about uh, how do we pass on the faith? And it's like, well, for some families, they have to, they have to develop the faith, they have to form the, their faith together, they might not, you know, who's passing on faith to who? Um, it, it's really something that we can foster uh, as, as family units. Um, and when I say family units, I mean, like, whatever your community is, depending on restrictions, right? There are communities online that have formed and new communities in the midst of restrictions that have formed as, as congregations have opened up. So, so all this makes me wonder about what are some things that you're going to be glad to do again that were impossible with ministry with youth, children, and families over the past year? And what are things that you are going to carry forward um, after the pandemic is over that only emerged because of it? Well, so I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to is this, um, this sort of unassigned open time of just what happens when you get together with people of all ages and just, you know, those few minutes before meeting, we're getting, we're learning how to do it on Zoom a little bit, but, you know, just being able to sit in silence with somebody and, uh, you know, with a, a young person or a youth you know, sometimes it's when you're, when you're together and you're doing something together, it just, it has a, such a different flavor. 
to it, I think. So I'm really looking forward to that, to being able to, looking forward to being able to sing, which I know is a long way off. Um, and, you know, some of the communal things that we do together in churches, you know, just don't, they don't work virtually like they do. There's nothing, there's no replacement for this embodied in-person experience. And I wonder, one of the things I'm wondering about is, will we, as a church, will we separate in some ways uh, our business from our, our hanging out, right? Like, you know, we've kind of learned how to be very efficient on Zoom meetings and get our things done, get, then get off. And so it's like, then maybe we don't, I don't know, this is like kind of strangely specific thing, but I do a lot of meetings with my church. And so I wonder if we would be able to say like, look, we'll have our business meetings on Zoom. Everybody can wear their pajamas, get them done. And then when we have our, our hanging out time, we'll all come together just to worship or hang out, you know? We won't have this kind of like strange meeting thing. I don't know. I wonder about that a little bit. Those are two, two things. This is what first came to mind when you said it. I think we're all gonna like, especially when we move post pandemic, we're gonna have to like relearn how to be socially active with each other. I think we're all gonna be so awkward. Um, so uh, I think, I think we're going to just have to really extend grace to each other, um, uh, with that. Not to mention that I think everyone has different perceptions as to, um, maybe how to handle this pandemic. I, I'll speak more for, um, the States. I don't, I think it's been a very, very confusing pandemic as to what is true, what we can do, what we can't do. And classic Americans, we all just want to do what we want to do. So I think what happens is from a pastoral perspective is I think, it's really hard to navigate a congregation as to what it means for us to be together when everybody has different opinions. Uh, I, I think the other thing that's interesting that probably was pre-pandemic uh, and it's gonna continue that uh, we've been thinking about, and I talk about this in uh, my book, Sticky Faith Innovation, is uh, I, I think we just have to realize that, um, and maybe the, maybe the pandemic and Zoom is helping us with this a little bit, is uh, we have a propensity toward closeness bias. And closeness bias basically uh, says that uh, the closer we are to someone, the more we make assumptions about who they are and actually we don't know them very well. So this happens a lot of times uh, in say uh, marriages that break down or relationships that, that break down. You, you, you're so comfortable with the person that you, you stop seeking to understand that they are a growing, dynamic, changing person. And eventually people drift apart. And I sometimes wonder in children's ministry, and especially as I think about youth ministry, I've been talking with youth leaders a lot about this, is there is an assumption we know young people and in that assumption, we actually are bringing more distance to the people that we actually serve because we've done it before or we've been successful before. So this leaning in and actually listening to our young people and families today is a crucial element and a discipline that's required in our ministries. Otherwise we make assumptions and that will bring distance. The other thing that's interesting, and this is more for families, and I think some of them were actually feeling this in the pandemic and they, um, they continue will, will to do this, is um, there's, there's intergenerational or transgenerational or whatever you wanna talk about that Tracy mentioned um, that is uh, really common and uh, a term that we've used in children's ministry and uh, youth ministry. There's actually some philosophical um, thinking going around this idea of intragenerational uh, dynamic that's happening. Uh, and I call it intragenerational speed. And what's happening is, is that uh, if we look at research, we find that the typical like generational cohort is about, is about 20 years. You kind of have 
maybe you've heard of uh, the boomers or Gen X or millennial, or, you know, now we have Gen Z or iGen and, you know, there's more coming and all, all that comes with that. What's interesting is those 20 years are now being shrunk. We're even actually seeing this now with, uh, with Gen Z is that it's now about a 15 year uh, cohort rather than a, than a 20. And even within that, it's probably getting smaller. So what we have is not one generation, but generations within the generations. And what, me what that means is this, is that the generations used to have more overlap with shared experiences and the overlap of life experience is getting less and less. Mm -hmm. So what that means is the common, the common ground that generations have is actually shrinking because the world is speeding up and we have to adjust quicker and quicker to technology and everything else and it's creating less overlap. So what that means is we just have to work harder to understand the other. We can't assume that because I was a teenager once, I understand teenagers today, it's a common one. But we're even finding within generations that there's less common commonality and overlap. So this is a, a room for misunderstanding. This creates uh, missed opportunities to truly get to know each other. So I think the work of the church is gonna have to be to lean in even more to really listen to the people that we serve because of closeness bias and because of intergenerational speed. Yeah, and I wonder if that's um, especially important for those of us who are working with younger children, because for, for we who are adults, you know, we know a lot of our life before the pandemic. And we think, you know, oh, when are we going to get back to that? But for a six-year-old, a large portion of their life has been living in the pandemic. They have come of age mm. over the past year, unlike we have uh, who are adults. And so their level of, of normalcy um, with what, is, what we have dealt with as, as abnormal over the past year is going to be completely different than ours. So that kind of... Um, uh, knowing one another, seeking to understand one another is, I think, especially important for, uh, you know, the younger someone is, because the greater uh, percentage of their life has been in what, what we think is abnormal. Yeah. That's so true. I think of when my daughter, she's four and a half now, when we started wearing masks, one of the ways that we would help her is by putting a mask on the little, her little doll <laughs> to show her and then she would wear it. And now, and, but it, it's like, I think about that little brain and she doesn't know wh why we're doing it, but she just will, what she knows are going outside, she'll say, put on the mask, put on the mask and she'll play. It's just, we can't, to Stephen's point, we, we have to approach things with a sense of curiosity. I think I could, I could try to imagine what it's like to be in the fourth grade and not have ever met my teacher except through Zoom or to not be able to play with my friends except through uh, Zoom. But I don't really know <laughs> what that's like. Um, yeah. I, I have to be really listening and, and trying to be curious about it. And I think you know, it's interesting that you said that, Stephen, about the generations, because I was born in 1978. And so that's like, right on the, between the uh, Gen X and millennial. And so whenever you'd see those things on BuzzFeed, whether it's Gen X, or it's like, I feel like I, I kind of was straddling that, you know, yeah. so I really relate to the Xennial, you know, bucket, like, that's my, yeah. bucket. and I wonder what, the bucket will be, you know, for, for pandemic, if you experienced the pandemic when you were 18 years old and you missed your prom, your graduation, your all of this, that's really a huge difference that if you, 
experience the pandemic when you're 14, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but I think time will tell. And it's something. I think that's, I think that's good. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.